Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Bechet, and this is the AAF Exchange, a podcast from the American Action Forum, where experts provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic policy issues. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in. On this episode of the AAF Exchange, we'll be discussing the Phase 1 trade deal with China. Jackie Varis, AAF's Director of Immigration and Trade Policy, is on today to explain what is in this agreement. Jackie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This is what, your third podcast coming on? Uh, fourth, I think. Fourth, wow. Time flies. Um, well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. We've heard a lot about the trade war with China over the past few years, but with the so-called phase one agreement that we just heard about in the news, it looks like the trade war might be ending. What are the basic facts of this deal? One thing, I wouldn't say the trade war is ending. Um, I wouldn't go that far. But it is a good thing that after over a year of negotiations, we have a deal. Originally, reports were saying that it was just going to be an agreement that China is going to increase purchases of U.S. agricultural goods. To my surprise, it's actually a lot bigger than that. And it encompasses issues like IP theft, forks, technology transfer. It has... Uh, financial services provisions, and it even has its own dispute settlement system in there. So it is bigger in scope than I, had ex- than I expected, but I think there's a lot of questions around how effective it's going to be. Yeah, I tried to have a little optimism with the trade war ending, but and we'll come back to more of the details in, in the uh, phase one agreement a little later. Um, but let's talk about the history first. Taking a step back, how did we get here? Talk us through this whole tr- how this whole trade war got started. I'd be happy to because my job is literally to monitor the trade war. So basically, rewind to 2017, the year uh, the president got elected. I don't remember. It was mid-2017 when he ordered an investigation into China for unfair trade practices. And this is something the business community has been complaining about for years. So um, it's definitely warranted to look into it. Things like Chinese um, firms mandating American firms share their technology with them um, as a precondition for business deals. So they did that investigation, and the findings of it enabled uh, the United States to impose tariffs on China under something called Section 301. Those tariffs were first imposed mid-2018, and since then, it's just been a ramp-up escalation. U.S. imposes tariffs, China retaliates, U.S. imposes more tariffs. Um, And then we get to the point where finally we have an agreement that hopefully will stop the tariffs from moving forward, but there's definitely no guarantees. You mentioned that uh, your whole job is basically uh, tracking these, and you actually have a great product out there called Tariff Tracker, that uh, or Tariff Watch, excuse me, that goes through all of this data. Yeah, I'm really proud of it. Um, it's got big Excel files with every single product impacted in 2018 import levels for data nerds out there like me. Um, so if anyone's curious, definitely check it out. All right, so let's get back to the deal. In your research, you discuss the good parts and the bad parts of this trade deal. Let's start with the good parts. What are they? Sure. Um, so the good parts of the deal, like I mentioned, they do have provisions on China's unfair trade practices um, that hopefully will stop them moving forward or at least lessen them. There's also some provisions in there that are aimed at reducing barriers to U.S. exports. And then finally, the United States, as a part of the deal, agreed to lower a portion of its tariffs on China. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about each of these in turn. Talk us through the reforms to China's unfair trade practices. 
As a part of the deal, which I was very surprised about, um, there is an explicit ban on forced technology transfer. That is a great thing. Um, there's also provisions in there that strengthens intellectual property protections in China, which will be especially helpful for you know the pharmaceutical industry and a lot of companies with sensitive technology trying to do business in China. Um, there is another thing in there that cracks down on counterfeit goods, uh, both at the border and online. So I think if those things are truly put into place, it would be a great thing. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned forced uh, technology transfers. Just for everybody, make sure we're on the same page, what, what, what does that exactly mean? Sure. So forced technology transfer is a practice in China where in order for a U.S. business to have market access there, to be able to sell its goods or open up um, a shop over there or engage in, in some sort of business, in China, they have to hand over their own um, technology, their their own IP, as a precondition. Got it. It's something no one likes, and and businesses have been complaining about for years. Yeah, wow. Well, I can't. I I wouldn't imagine that I would want to give up my technology mm-hmm. to to other. But the thing is, China has such a huge market that it's a cost benefit thing. Fair enough. All right. So moving on, what about reducing trade barriers? to U.S. exports? Uh, so I think the most important part of trade deals uh, is that they reduce trade barriers both at home and abroad. And this deal has provisions in there to reduce some, um, we call them non-tariff barriers. So things like regulations that make it harder for U.S. companies to export to China. Um, it opens markets for U.S. agricultural goods. It opens the financial services industry so that uh, agencies and financial services and insurance can better do business in China. Um, I will mention that a lot of those reforms were already in the works before this deal, um, but it's still a good thing. And China also agreed, as a part of the trade agreement, to comply with some previous rulings from the World Trade Organization um, on their agricultural subsidies and their unfair, what's called a tariff rate quota, which is another barrier to trade. Um, so while they probably would have complied anyway, it's good to have that written in a trade agreement. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another key benefit that you mentioned of this deal was the changes to US, U.S. tariffs. Can you walk us through some of those? Uh, sure. Um, I'll just take us to a world where there is no agreement. If the U.S. and China wouldn't would not have reached this deal, <laughs> um, there would currently be tariffs on iPhone parts and a lot of technology that U.S. consumers would really feel the pain of it. Um, So in a world with no deal, there would be tariffs on over $500 billion worth of imports from China to the United States, and it would be increasing consumer costs by over $120 billion per year. Now, because of the deal, the United States agreed to lessen a portion of its tariffs on China um, from 15% to 7.5%, and then also not to move forward with its planned tariffs on the things that would affect Apple and other um, consumer technologies. That being said, there are still tariffs in place on China and others that are increasing nationwide costs by $70 billion per year. So there's definitely still work to do to remove those tariffs. Gotcha. All right. So we just talked about all of the, the good parts. Let's talk about some of the bad parts that your research has, has mentioned. Uh, where does this deal fall short? In my opinion, the deal falls short in three areas. Um, the chapter 
on expanding trade where China agreed to buy more American goods, the chapter on uh, currency manipulation, and the chapter on the dispute resolution uh, mechanism that it created. All right. So, again, let's go through each of these uh, issues. So, you know, why is it a bad idea to have China buy more of our products? I mean, that seems like it'd be a good thing for businesses to have happen. Yeah, it's not a bad idea on its face. The problem is it's the United States centrally controlling how much China is going to buy. I mean, yes, China agreed to it, but central planning of an economy is never a good idea. Um, and it's, it's kind So, of, like, basically they're saying, like, you have to have X amount of goods purchased back in? Is yeah. that sort of it? So it's kind of creepy. They outline all of these different product areas saying you will buy X amount of this product. You, China, will buy this from us over the next two years because we can predict the future and we can control your market. And like I said, it's never a good idea to centrally plan an economy, especially another country's economy. And then there's also been some great research done um, by the Peterson Institute and others showing that the demand from China to meet those purchase goals are not there. So either they're not going to meet those goals or they're going to to divert their trade in a way that harms Chinese consumers. I see. All right. So you mentioned dispute settlement. Again, it really does seem like a good thing for China and the U.S. to have a way to work out their differences. Why, why is it a bad thing? It is a good thing to have an enforcement mechanism, and that's what dispute settlement does. It's a way for countries engaged in a trade agreement to um, resolve issues that they have if one country isn't complying with the terms of a deal. And what I like to say is any trade agreement is only as good as its enforcement mechanism. The problem with this one is that it's the first time in a trade agreement that there's not a third party um, like panel of experts or organization that's ruling on the dispute. It literally just says, OK, the U.S. and China have an issue. The U.S. and China, um, the counterparts, the trade negotiators from each country are going to just talk about it and figure it out by themselves. That is never a good idea, especially when we've been engaged in this trade war for over a year and haven't been able to come to any meaningful um, reconciliation other than this trade agreement, which I don't know if it's going to work or not. Seems like a recipe for more uncertainty in the future. It is. And the worst part about it is that written in the trade agreement, it says if no um, resolution can be reached, then it's okay for either country to impose tariffs. And uh, if the other country doesn't like it, they can just pull out of the deal. So to me, it just seems like an okay for future trade wars. Right, right. Which would, I mean, would just put us back into square one if all that were to happen. Exactly. Um, All right. So finally, let's talk about uh, currency manipulation. Walk us through the issues that are part of this deal. Um, So there's been a history with China. where the country will devalue its currency in order to get an edge up. Um, So basically, if their currency is weaker than ours, our dollar will go farther and we will want to buy more of their stuff because it's cheaper for us. So that's a way for a country to boost its exports. Um, There is a long history of China doing that. But in my research and looking at the data, it hasn't really happened since China abandoned its uh, peg to the dollar in 2005. And since then, they have been more heavily reliant on market forces to determine the value of their currency. 
Um, but the president and other people just don't see that, and they still think it's this huge issue. Um, so that's why they put it in the trade agreement. Mm-hmm. So is it more like a campaign talking point then? Like It is. Um, it's a way to demonize China for something that, in my opinion, it doesn't deserve to be demonized for. There's a lot of things it does deserve to be criticized for. The thing wrong with currency manipulation provisions and trade agreements is that it's a slippery slope, and it opens the United States up to being penalized for using its own um, independent monetary policy to, for instance, reduce the chances of a future recession. Um, So it's just not a good idea, in my opinion. Interesting. Well, I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about this phase one as we continue through this campaign. But I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out for a minute, and we're going to look to the future. What are the things we should watch in the short term to see if the deal is working? In the short term, I'd say, obviously, um, you can look at Chinese purchases of the goods that are outlined in the agreement. However, those purchases are supposed to take place over the next two years, and it could take some time, if anything does happen, for that to show up in the data. Also, trade data comes out with a bit of a lag, um, so it might not be a perfect indication. You can look for, I mean, complaints about IP theft and things like that, but that's really going to be heard on the business side. And I don't trust the president if he comes out and says, oh, China hasn't stolen anything, because I don't think he knows. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think with any trade agreement, you kind of just have to wait and see. But because we have an election this year, I think it's going to encourage China to be on its best behavior until the election. Well, calling something a phase one generally would suggest that there's going to be a phase two. Um, Will there be a phase two? I mean, what's next? I think so. There's supposed to be. Um, Phase two is going to have to tackle a lot harder stuff than phase one, like state-owned enterprises, for instance. China has not wanted to touch their state-owned enterprises, and that's a really hard issue. So, again, this is something that's not going to even be touched until after the election. Um, And I can't predict the future, but all I can say is that it's going to be a lot harder than phase one. Well, bottom line, what should we think of this trade deal? Overall, is it a good deal or is it a bad deal for American consumers and the American economy? I think it's good that we are temporarily stopping tariffs. That's a great thing. Um, It's good that the business community has a bit less uncertainty moving forward, at least over the next year. On its merits, the provisions of this deal are not all great. But all I can say is we have to wait and see what happens, especially with the dispute settlement system, if there are issues that come up, how those get handled. Um, But I can confidently say I don't think anything crazy is going to happen until after the election. Mm -hmm. Earlier in the episode, you mentioned Apple and iPhone and how this impacts them. Uh, So to put it in terms that I care about, what is this deal going to do for the price of my next iPhone? I'm due for an upgrade very soon. So talk talk to me, Jackie. (laughs) So that was one of the benefits of not moving forward with those tariffs. I'm not going to say that it's going to lower the cost of your iPhone, but it will definitely prevent it from increasing like it would have if we would have moved forward and imposed tariffs on China um, that last round. Got it. Well, I will let you know what my bill is next time I, I buy it. Uh, anyways, um, to wrap things up, you know, we like to talk about something interesting away from, you know, trade and, well, immigration would be your other topic. But uh, so 
a lot of our listeners have been asking uh, for updates on your whiskey selection. They remember you talking about it in various other podcast episodes out there. What's the latest? Don't hold anything back. <laughs> yeah, so for those who don't know, I'm kind of known around the office as the uh, the whiskey gal, the whiskey person. Um, and I guess the only update is I've been doing a challenge at my local bar. If you drink every whiskey they have, which is 63 different kinds, you get your name on the wall forever. This isn't in one sitting. This is over a period of yes. time, right? If yeah, it was okay. in one sitting, uh, it would be called murder. Um, <laughs> but so far, I've knocked off over 40, I think 45 or so. So I'm getting very close to getting my name on that wall. And that will be one of uh, my proudest achievements. What's what's your favorite so far or one that you didn't think you'd like that that you really were like, oh, yeah, I enjoy this? Yeah, well, the best part of that challenge is that it's getting me to try a lot of stuff that I wouldn't have otherwise. It's also really smart for the bar because it's getting me to come back. <laughs> um, so I've always been a bourbon person. That's, that's what I, I first fell in love with. But I've started to expand out to rye and scotch, which is something I really want to become a scotch drinker. I just think it's really cool. I personally love scotch. That's something <laughs> I can I can get behind. So there was this one scotch I tried that I really liked. Uh, I think it's called Balvini, and it made me think, hey, I can be a scotch drinker. So that's been my favorite. Awesome. Well, Jackie, thank you for coming on, and I look forward to more discussions with you throughout 2020. Yeah, thanks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Tune back in for our next episode, where our experts will provide clear, data-driven insights into today's economic and domestic issues. I'd also encourage you to check out any of the links in our show notes and also follow us on social media to learn more about AAF. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play.